Welcome to the Perfume Room. I'm so excited. This is a solo episode, long overdue. I feel like we need some one-on-one time. I want to catch up with you guys, tell you what's going on in my life, answer some of the topics and questions that you guys wrote in, and you'll probably just hear sort of my train of thought, ramblings about different things in the TikTok landscape, perfume landscape, trends, my life, yada yada. But let's start how we always do, which is with my scent of the day. Today I am wearing a brand new scent that I'm not even sure is for sale in the U.S. market yet. I'm wearing Eau Cœur, which actually, as I say that out loud, I realize sounds like Eau Cœur. Um, it is not a Cardi B scent. It is O-E-A-U Cœur, C-O-E-U-R by Thomas de Monaco. And I have to be honest, uh, Lucky Scent sent me a rollerball of this as I was in the middle of finalizing the scents for the Boozy September Smell Club, which stay tuned. Tickets will be on sale any second now. But I smelled it, I got a Baccarat Rouge vibe, and I immediately dismissed it. For me, something that has a Baccarat Rouge vibe is going to be something that gives me that very distinct smell that I only can liken to the smell of sticking your nose inside a box of crayons. If I have to attribute which notes um, create that smell, I would say that it's some combination of ambergris, saffron, and ethyl maltol. And in sort of all of the Baccarat derivative fragrances, all these things that I feel like frequently get compared to Baccarat, even if they are different, I feel like what the thing is that people are noticing that's similar is that sort of sweet crayon accord. Shout out to Sniff Fragrances for creating sweet ash. Smells very similar to Baccarat. I also do not like this scent, but I feel like the name encapsulates exactly what it smells like. It's ashy and it's sweet. And while that's a very cool concept, I just don't want to smell like that. Anyway, I felt like I had sort of written this one off too quickly. So I put it back on today and I have to say, I absolutely love the opening. Um, In the opening, I get these really distinct, beautiful notes of peach, osmanthus and rose. And it's very opulent and luxurious. However, unfortunately for me, after just a few minutes of wear, the heart of the fragrance starts to develop and that is where I get that sort of like ambergris, crayon-y thing going on, which unfortunately is just not something that I am into. And in fact, that actually makes me think because a lot of you guys ask me what trends I am over and I would say it is this ambergris, saffron, and or ethyl maltol, sort of sweet ash, sweet crayon type of smell that we're seeing in so many scents. And of course, what we can attribute that to is that Baccarat Rouge was this huge blockbuster success. And so every type of fragrance brand came out of the woodworks, whether they were niche brands, luxury brands, designer brands, popular brands, and wanted to do their attempt at something similar. We saw this a few years ago with Santal 33. I feel like the internet loves to shit on Baccarat and Santal 33. I'm not excluding myself from that narrative, okay? Because I have done my fair share of hating. Though I don't hate Santal 33. I just think it's kind of like overhyped. But with that said, when Santal 33 became a hit, I feel like it really put sandalwood dominant fragrances back on the map and so many brands followed suit that I got to a certain point where I was like, not another sandalwood scent please and thank you. There's something inherently sad about 
this sort of mass feeling that we get when we get over fragrances that get overdone because I feel like we forget why something became successful in the first place. This is not me making the case for Baccarat Rouge, by the way. I'm just saying that when Baccarat came out, it had a unique position in the marketplace. There weren't other fragrances or at least ones that were really on, you know, the public's radar that had that sort of lack for lack of a better word, sweet, ashy smell to them. And so Baccarat hit the nail on the head with this thing that people didn't know they wanted. And then all of these brands copied it. Some of them I think copied it and did it even better. Some of them I think did it even worse. But regardless, you can't walk on any New York City block without smelling that distinct Baccarat Rouge-like smell. Whether it is Baccarat or a dupe or some other niche fragrance that has capitalized on this trending note, it is everywhere. And its omnipresence is what makes us sick of it. We can look at this in other areas of our lives as well. If you look at an app like TikTok, the user experience sends incongruent messages because on the one hand, there's this need and this desire for a very original content, very original takes, something that's never been done before. But then on the other, you are supposed to be part of a very specific niche. If you are an engaged user or a frequent poster, you're supposed to participate in trending sounds or trending content ideas. And so there's just this like, there's always this friction of like, are you creating something that has never been done before? Or are you like, oh, I'm a creator in this niche and what's trending right now is five things I'd never do or here's what's in, here's what's out. And the bigger any sort of niche or community becomes, the better it is for that community, but the less original it can be because there are only so many original video content ideas. Obviously, opinions and personalities and POVs are what give individual spins, but to a certain extent, if you're doing a list of fall fragrances or aesthetics or things like that, what's unique is your spin, but it's not like that is an original content idea. And if you think about the origins of TikTok, it was an app that was literally created for people to use the exact same sounds as each other, to hop on the same trends as each other, and essentially to go viral by replicating trending songs or sounds. Now, luckily, there is so much originality on the app, and those are the people that have really risen to the top. But there comes into this into question, I know it was started with Baccarat Rouge and Santal 33 and ended on TikTok, but how long does it take for an idea or concept to be recycled or reused or redone before we grow sick of it? I also just think sorry, this is now just me talking about TikTok, but I think that there's something absolutely wild about how quickly something can gain notoriety or popularity on this app. And as someone who is a Perfume Talk content creator, it's crazy to see the direct causational impact that recommending a fragrance or doing a video about a fragrance can have on its sales, especially if it is a niche small brand. But then there's also this notion of TikTok sometimes feeling like a game of telephone of like, if somebody talks about an obscure niche fragrance, how long does it take until you start to see it pop up in other content creators' content? 
And if somebody is influencing, in theory, that's what they should be doing because you're encouraging other people to go out and sample what it is that you're talking about. For me personally, when I see scents that I know I was the first person on TikTok to talk about pop up in other content creators' videos, it makes me really happy because it's almost like mission accomplished. I was trying to spread awareness about this fragrance and now other people are enjoying it as much as I am. And I've been on the other side where I've just seen like an original content idea of mine be like completely replicated without any credit. And sometimes it's very frustrating, but I guess I also just have to remember like TikTok kind of breeds plagiarism by virtue of being an app where you are supposed to copy and use the same sounds as everybody else. And to be clear, I'm not condoning plagiarism on this app in any way. It's just, I think, a byproduct of the app itself. But going back to this conversation of whose voice matters when it comes to making a product trend and how quickly can it go viral and what is it about either the person who posted about it, the nature of their content, or the product itself that made it go viral, a perfect example of this is the resurgence due to TikTok of the Birkenstock Boston shoe, which if you were my age was like very cool when we were in seventh grade. It's that like flat clog shoe. And it's essentially like an orthopedic clog that Gen Z has been like, this is the it shoe. And why do we listen? Because we look up to certain content creators for their style or their voice or their curation of fashion and if they deem something cool, we hop on it, but we see it magnified in real time on TikTok because once somebody says, you need this shoe, a hundred other creators can quickly be like, yes, you need this shoe. It's very easy to co-sign other people's ideas and it doesn't only need to come from the place of the influencer or the it person or the fashion forecaster. It can start there and trickle down to everybody else talking to their niche or local or smaller communities. I guess to synthesize everything I'm saying about this sort of like rambling on TikTok is that this app in so many ways has decentralized who can set a trend and who can speak to a trend and who can tell you what is trending. And I say all this with full awareness that I am one of those people who is trusted on this app and it means so much to me and I don't take it lightly. And that is why I'm so curated and intentional and particular about what I recommend. In conclusion, the burgeoning popularity of Baccarat Rouge 540 is a microcosm of larger social media trends at play. And to my college professors who are probably not listening to this episode, I still got it. And if you are not my college professor, I know it sounds like I just took an edible and had an epiphany, and I can confirm that's not the case. I'm just sharing with you the thoughts that keep me up at night. But that is a great segue of what I do think some trends are for fragrances for fall. And so coming off the heels, <laughs> pun intended, of Birkenstock Bostons, I think as Birkenstocks are literally like orthopedic clogs, I think that we are going into a fall where we are craving just the ultimate cozy sense. I'm coining this term. I am calling it mac and cheese scents. I think that is what we want to wear. Now, listen, I love savory gourmands. I love lactonic scents. So you actually might catch me on the street wearing something that smelled like mac and cheese. However, 
for the sake of this podcast, I am not referring to fragrances that actually smell like mac and or cheese. I'm just referring to these scents that are familiar and comforting. To me, that's what mac and cheese does. Like whatever your flavor is. I don't know if you want Annie's. I don't know if you want Kraft. Maybe you go the homemade route. I don't know what you do in your kitchens. However, I feel like we can all agree that mac and cheese is just like, huh, like it's like, ew, did you, why did I just make that sound? Mac and cheese just feels so like comforting. And I think that since Birkenstock Boston's, which as I mentioned, our orthopedic shoes are also trending, that our fragrances should follow suit. So what are mac and cheese fragrances? For me, they are edible extreme comfort gourmands. So the first one that comes up for me that I think of is Chabot Le Chocolat. If you are in the Lactonic Smell Club, you already know this fragrance. I love it. It is like hot chocolate. It is like Swiss Miss, but with a beautiful twist. There's obviously like this like darker chocolate note. There's some woody notes. There's like a slight jasmine florency. So there's something about it that still feels elevated and wearable, yet when I wear it, I am like, oh, I am in Hershey Park in the Hershey World ride. Annabelle's birthday cake is another one that just feels like the ultimate sort of like comfort, warm hug type of scent. And I think we saw like the popularity of By the Fireplace. I think there are other scents that are also serving that sort of like similar like marshmallows at the bonfire type of comfort. And I would say maybe Atelier des Ours, Lune Feline, uh, or scents like Commodity Velvet Plus that also have that similar like toasty, warm, gourmand, but so soothing elements to their odors. And if you think about my scent profile, like me loving lipstick scents, me loving lactonic scents, I feel like I have always loved mac and cheese scents. I am a creature of comfort. I wear athleisure every day. I wear Crocs every day. And so it only follows suit that maybe they smell like a little bit elevated, but my sense would also be similarly comfortable. I have three more trends or three more things that at least I'm going to be wearing this fall that I want to talk about. So the second one is sort of warmer, more mossy citrus scents. Um, a scent that comes to mind in that category would be Citrus Batacunga by Maison Crivelli or perhaps Jo Malone Grapefruit or even, not that this is like really like deep or mossy, but Juniper Sling. I want to wear sort of like fresh, mossy, refreshing citrus scents. And I think that speaks to like sort of like living in this sort of like uplifting sort of happy space and setting my own space through scent. And with that said, I also want to wear sort of like meditative, calming, smoky scents. So something like Chris Collins, African rooibos, which to me evokes a sort of Palo Santo quality is another one that is going to be high in my rotation this fall. And the fourth category that I want to talk about, and this might be a curveball, is nostalgic scents. However, the era or the year that I am nostalgic for, I know this is going to sound weird, is 2020. I don't wish to relive 2020. It was a particularly rough year for me, for us, for the world, for the planet. But 2020 was kind of when I was able to first, in an uninhibited way, just delve into the world of fragrance. And I remember that feeling of just happening upon new scent profiles and scents and notes and accords that I loved. And every single scent felt so special. 
And I think also too, obviously time has moved on. We are now in 2022. Major things have happened. It's hard to say post-pandemic because the pandemic is still going on and it's hard to act like nothing happened for me personally in these last two-ish years because I started this podcast, I got on TikTok, I started creating content, I took courses in perfume. I essentially like recreated my entire career, but there's still something that just feels stuck in time. And I think that's why I keep going back to 2020. I feel like I entered this pandemic in my late 20s and I left it, if you want to call it that. I, I left it, or at least today, I am in my 30s and I'm just like, where did the end of my 20s go? Like, I feel like I will forever be 28. It's like 2020 and 2021 were like lucid hibernation. And I remember like before the pandemic, I just had this feeling of like, wow, like I am living. Like I would be doing nothing in my apartment. I would get a text that's like, hey, we have a spot for you to perform stand up in Bushwick in an hour. Can you make it? And even though I was an hour away on the subway, I'd be like, hell yeah. And I would just stop what I was doing, get on the subway. Then I'd go to that show. Then I'd run into two friends at that show. We'd go to another bar. We'd go to another show. And it was just like, I remember these nights where my schedule was so busy that I would be, you know, doing multiple shows a night, would forget to eat dinner. It would be 11 o'clock and I'd be like, damn. And I would just go into a bodega, get a bag of popcorn and walk down the street at night eating my popcorn being like, I am living. And it's not like I don't feel that now. I just feel like there was just this like blip in time where I went from really taking advantage of all of what this city has to offer and all of this free time to just sort of like still doing a lot with my time, but it just feels so much more calculated, thoughtful, insular. And maybe I subconsciously keep going back to 2020 cents because I feel like that's where I left off. And I don't know like how 2021 and 2022 happened. Like still mentally, I'm in like February 2020. Um, I don't know, but I do find myself reaching for a lot of the scents that were really special to me when I really first started on TikTok and when I really first started, um, going deeper into this fragrance journey two years ago. So with that, some scents I've been reaching for a lot would be Commodity Oris, Cafe Tuberosa, Diptyque Orpheon. Some of those might've been in 2021, to be honest, but just sort of these like pinnacle sense for me early on in my content creation have just been really comforting to sort of like rediscover, which is a great segue to one of the other questions I got, which is how has my relationship with perfume changed now that I receive frequent PR? And to that, I would say, ultimately, if a fragrance like touches my heart and resonates with me. It doesn't matter how I discovered it, whether it was sent to me, whether I smelled it in store. Some fragrances recently that have been gifted to me that really have touched me in a deeply personal way would be Floris Platinum 22, um, which is just this gorgeous Oris Mate, sort of like aromatic but warm lipsticky scent. I absolutely love it. Acro Dark is another one that was sent to me that's this like amazing mossy caramelly truffly chocolate scent that I absolutely adore and that was one that was gifted to me. Chris Collins African Roibus as I talked about earlier was something that he gifted me when I interviewed him and that fragrance is just stunning. The Maker Wild 
Um, I don't know. I could go on. So many fragrances have been gifted to me at this point, and so many of them are new favorites for me. With that said, I will say that I could see how easy it is for someone to get into like a borderline like clutter type situation. And I really feel like if you are gifted something or you purchase something that doesn't bring you pleasure, it's better for, and maybe I shouldn't say you are, I should say me and speak to my own personal experience, but it's better for my mental health to rehome it because I live in a small space and I'm fine with having an extensive and large collection. In fact, I freaking love it. But what I'm not okay with is having things in that collection that don't bring me joy. So I do have a lot of perfumes displayed, but I feel confident right now that if anyone came over to my bedroom and picked up any single fragrance that I had displayed, I would be like, yes, I love that one because I only display ones that bring me joy so that I could literally close my eyes and point in any direction and whichever one I landed on, I would wear avec plaisir. And if it's a fragrance that I like, but I'm not in love with, I generally keep it, but store it in this storage space that I've created under my bed. And if it's one that just doesn't really resonate with me personally, or I can't see myself wearing, I do try to do a giveaway or give it as a gift or rehome it or... Just give it to someone who will get the pleasure out of it that that fragrance deserves. I think fragrances, not to make them sentient, but fragrances deserve to be loved. And if I am the owner of a fragrance and I am not wearing it and it is not bringing me joy, it does not deserve me or I do not deserve it. With that said, I have recently held off on giveaways um, that require like shipping via plane because I feel like past guests have kind of scared me about like not having a dangerous goods license and sending things via air. If you live anywhere around the New York City area that would require ground shipping and I would not have to do that and you are interested in getting any of my decluttering fragrances, DM me, let me know. Another question I received kind of about this was how I store my perfume or how I display it. And I display it by category. Um, so I like to look at all my gourmands on one shelf. I like to look at all my like smoky leathery scents on one shelf. I like to look at all my sort of like woody or aromatic ones. Um, I have a place for aquatics, for florals, for lipsticky scents, for iris scents, for skin scents. Um, I know some people do it by color, by brand. For me, I like to be like, okay, what am I in the mood for? I want to wear a gourmand. And then I just go right to my gourmand shelf and all of my favorite gourmands are right there waiting for me. Okay, I sort of mentioned them before, but I will just give you a little list as I'm thinking about it. These are my mac and cheese scents, as in they just bring me ultimate comfort. I just want to be cozy when I wear them or they're particularly nostalgic or they just feel like very edible and just like cocoony. Uh, Christian Dior Bois d'Argent, Atelier des Heures Lune Feline, Chabot Le Chocolat, I think I said all of these already, Milano Fragranzi Basilica, Marissa Zappas, Annabelle's Birthday Cake, Maison Margiela, Lipstick On, Kirin, Pure New York. I've talked about this one before, but if you live in New York, if you've ever lived in New York, it smells exactly like being at the East River. It is the smell of the East River at dusk. It is just like so photorealistic, so comforting. And my big trend prediction goes hand in hand with exactly what I was just talking about. I think we're going to see a lot more lactonic and bready scents. And I think we're going to see gourmands that aren't so desserty. They could even be savory. We could see some, you know, celery type scents or fresh pepper type scents or tomato leaf or things like that. But I think we're going to see those gourmands that feel toasty, that feel 
like those in-betweens, like bready or milky, and there's an air of sweetness to them, but they're not going to feel like the dessert. Another question I was asked is why people enjoy difficult notes, whether that is endolic notes or ambergris or some of these more like obscure synthetic notes like latex or paint or plaster. And I think it is because those are still some of the comfort sense of our childhoods. Like these obscure notes, I mean, maybe not poop, although who can't relate? We've all pooped, right? But when you think about smells that are weird smells that maybe you shouldn't like, but you do, like gasoline shouldn't be a comfort scent to me, but it is. And so I think that there's just like deep down, we do crave these sort of like familiar, either animalic or dirty or industrial scents. But I also think, and this is something that's come up on the podcast before, similar to people's journey with wine, I think the more deep you go, the more your palate expands or changes and the more you want to challenge it. You might start with Moscato and you end with a Bordeaux. You might start with Burberry Her and you end, I'm not, I mean, I don't know if you'd end with Secretion Magnifique. That one is, that one is beyond challenging to me. That one is just sort of putrid, but you might end with something that has like a very strong cumin note, like Acronite, for example, which is like a cumin jasmine musk smell. I also think sometimes we need something that feels a little funky to sort of temper the sweetness of things. Um, sometimes something can be so sweet that it almost feels like toothachey and having a woody note or a mossy note or an indolic note kind of gives it uh, depth and dimension but makes it a little bit more palatable. Someone asked for some random facts about me, so... Uh, let me think of a few. Okay. Um, I weirdly enjoy folding clothes. I find it to be therapeutic and I take pride and pleasure in like very clean line folds. Like it just is very calming to me. I like the like repetitive motions. Um, another thing about me is I love card games. However, I can never remember any of them that I've played. I can never remember how to teach them. If we are playing cards, give me like five minutes to watch and like talk me through what I am supposed to do. But I could have a favorite card game. And if you ask me to teach it to a group of people, I will have no idea what the rules are. I just have to remember it as I start playing. I also am never the person that's going to explain any board game or any game for that matter. Like I cannot for the life of me, remember game rules ever. I think it's because I'm just like not a tactile person. I'm not like a doer. I'm not someone who's good at like tinkering. Like it doesn't come naturally to me at all. I was very bad at science. I was very bad at labs. It kind of felt like if you ever have that recurring dream where like you've showed up for a class and there's been like an entire semester and everyone knows each other and you don't even know what the subject is or like, I even though I've graduated school like over a decade ago, I still have that recurring dream. And that is kind of how I felt in science labs, like every science lab, if we had to like boil something or dissect something, like I just, I couldn't grasp the teacher's demonstration to like my hands doing the thing. I can't assemble furniture. I'm very bad at following instructions that require me to like then do something, like put something together. I think that's also part of the reason why I have so much admiration and respect for perfumers, but don't aspire to be one because it's actually like nothing that I'm good at. 
perfume and perfumers as much as they are artists. They are also chemists. And I have seen perfumers formulas and I'm like, all right, you lost me, right? Like I can understand it at a basic level, but if I had to be the doer, it is just so not how my brain works at all. I think the happiest smell is fresh squeezed lime that just makes me think of summer and fun cocktails and a fun night ahead. And that is also a great lead into the next question. Somebody asked about using scent as therapy. If you have not listened to the aromatherapy episode with Froga Gallia, who is an aromatherapist, I definitely encourage you to listen to that episode. But my big takeaway from that episode was that aromatherapy is less about the specific perfume ingredient. And uh, I'm sure that there are definitely notes that have been studied and have positive effects associated with them, like citruses being uplifting, yada, yada. But, and this kind of proves the thesis of this entire episode and a lot of what I've talked about. For me, Senta's therapy is more about sense with positive associations. If I'm having a hard time, if I'm in a bad mood, what is a scent that I can put on that can instantly transport me to a happier time. Maybe it's a scent that I wore when I used to go out or a scent that one of my friends wore or a scent that takes me back to a particularly fun year in my life. So I do use scent in a therapeutic way. I wouldn't say aromatherapy because I think that has bigger implications and is more of like a coined term, but I am a creature of comfort. There are certain scents that I find to be very therapeutic and they're always ones with positive memories tied to them. And, um, I think I would have to re-listen to the episode, but I think that that's what Froka was saying as well of just like the scents that bring you pleasure are the scents that you can use in an aromatherapy capacity. Guys. Okay. Moving on. I have a serious question for you all. Please DM me your answers. Would you be interested in perfume room merch? If so, what would be most appealing to you? My mind goes to sweatshirts. My mind goes to fanny packs. My mind goes to, I want to create like a little holder where you could put all of your samples in for traveling. Okay. I hope you are having a great day. I hope whether it's morning, noon, or night, whether you're inside, outside, walking, working out, knitting, crocheting, cooking dinner, cleaning, wherever we are together, I hope you are having a great day and I hope you have enjoyed this little catch up and I will talk to you soon. Perfumer was edited by Wyatt Peak. Music is by Max Vernon and illustrations are by Israel Rodriguez. 